Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Thank you, choir and praise team for leading us this morning. You'll take your Bible and open to Acts chapter 8. There is a job at the White House, <clears throat> the press secretary, and they, he or she has one job, and that job is to speak on behalf of the president, to represent the White House, and all that the president thinks, says, it does not matter what he or she thinks, that is irrelevant. Whether they agree with what the president's view is on a particular policy, it's irrelevant. His or her job is to speak on behalf of the president and to uh, speak his thoughts. And they are always ready to take questions, sometimes. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We're also called by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, shared this one numerous times as well. Therefore, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It is God making his appeal through the church, and that appeal is be reconciled to God. One issue, one challenge that we have in the church is that when given the opportunity to share the gospel, Sometimes we respond like Jen Psaki and we say, I'll circle back to that. And we never get back to it. In our text this morning, there is this moment, once again looking at Philip's life and ministry where he is absolutely obedient. He surrenders and he has surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, to the Holy Spirit's leading in his life. And he shares the gospel with a very unlikely character in the Ethiopian eunuch. And what I want to take home today is that the surrendered church in the book of Acts, and even still today, as we want to be a surrendered church, surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, the surrendered church is always ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that we have. And I should also add that we are also a church that is surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit in every decision we make. If you would take your Bible and stand with me as I read from Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26 down to verse 40. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading 
the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shears, so, does, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will des- uh, describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And so he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may we, each one of us in this room who call on Christ as Lord, be full of your spirit, be full of the gospel, and full of your compassion for people. Father, we are all great sinners in need of a greater Savior. Lord, continue to give us opportunities to be a blessing where streams of your grace and mercy can flow. We praise you, God, for giving us the opportunity to reach the world for your glory and for your great name. Father, help us to be faithful when called and led. Father, as we often pray, what we know not teach us today, what we have not provide for us, and what we are not make us for your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. There you go, missed it. I was doing good until that last song. Got me a little teary-eyed this morning. We find in Acts chapter 8, again, Philip actively engaged in ministry, actively engaged in gospel ministry. And what we find in Philip is that he is a man in step with the Spirit of God. Everything about Philip's life thus far, we can say that he is in step with the Spirit of God. We were introduced to Philip, you'll remember, in Acts chapter 6, and we come to know this man, that this man has a good reputation, and he's selected as one of the, one of the first, uh, let's call them the Magnificent Seven, the, one of the first servants or deacons that we call deacons in the church in Acts chapter 6. He was selected because he was a man who was full of the Spirit and wisdom, and the church thought it good to elect him plus six others into this service to help wait tables so that the apostles could continue on with the ministry of the word and prayer. But as you follow Philip in his life, chapter eight, we get a glimpse that he has moved on beyond serving tables. He's grown in his faith, he's grown in his walk to a place where God is now using him as an evangelist. 
Maybe he's more like a traveling evangelist, although sometimes we might get the idea those guys were professionals. Perhaps you attended a revival years ago where, you know, some uh, slickster would come in in his suit and preach for a couple of nights and you'd see the aisles full of people at the old, old style revivals that we, we saw, some of us saw growing up. That's not really who Philip was. Philip was actively engaged in ministry where he was in this particular moment. In verse 26, an angel of the Lord speaks to Philip and he says, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem. Now, Philip, he is blessed in this moment to hear from God and to, to say that he is full of the spirit. Here's, here's how I, I want to put that just in context of what scripture says a man or a woman that's full of the spirit would look like. And I'd point your attention to Galatians chapter five with a list of the fruit of the spirit. That's not our work in our life producing that fruit. That's the spirit involved in us, at work in us, producing those characteristics. You'll remember them, love, joy, peace. Come on, help me out. Patience. All right. Some of you are like, self-control, we can't say that too loud. <laughs> gotta, stay, gotta stay inside. Youth camp, you know, you yell that out. Like, self-control. Oh, no. Chase that rabbit. It's gone. Full of the Spirit. That's exactly what it means. He is exhibiting the Spirit's leadership in his life. As he is surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, his life has been changed by Christ, and he is yielding to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So when we say that he is in step with the Spirit, it's meant that he is open to the Spirit's guiding and that the Spirit is producing that fruit in his life. Paul wrote just after that fruit that he listed in Galatians 5, he wrote this in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Church, it's important that we are people who are in step with the Spirit of God. So Philip is a man who's in step with the Spirit. How do, we, how do we know from this text? Verse 26, well, a messenger of the Lord comes to him, an angel. Primarily, that's what angels do. They are messengers of God. The angel didn't come on his own initiative he is sent by God. Angels only do what God commands. And so we make no mistake here that the angel is sent by God. This leads me to believe that one of the most important truths out of this text this morning is simply this, that we need to see God's missionary heart. God has a heart for the lost. That is his purpose. That is his mission is to redeem us. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but that all might be saved in Christ. And so it is important we see God's missionary heart. God is taking the initiative to reach a man, an Ethiopian eunuch, from the continent of Africa. Let that sit for a minute. From the continent of Africa. That means he did not look on the outside what Philip looked like. Yet God saw fit to reach this man with the gospel by using Philip. A man who is not only an Ethiopian and a eunuch, but he's a Gentile which we all fall into that category as well. We see the gospel now going not just to the Jew. Last week we saw it going to the Samaritans. Now this week we see it going to the Gentiles or the rest of the world. In verse 27, Philip responds. And he responds by saying, no, not today, Lord. But he says, he gets up and he went on his way. He got up and he went on his way to find what was happening down on this road. He was open. He was flexible to how the Spirit would lead and where the Spirit would lead him. Now, as he's on this road, he encounters this Ethiopian eunuch who is also a high official. In modern terms, the man that Philip meets 
would be like the chairman of our Federal Reserve or a minister of finance. Okay? He's in charge of the money. He's the treasurer uh, of this people. Yeah, right? Now, he's a eunuch, and, and that's, a, that's a whole other can of worms we're not going to open up this morning, but he has, let's just say he has physical issues. He's got problems. Okay? He'll never have a family. He's got no one to inherit whatever he's got. He can't claim much for his own. Uh, as far as the, as the Jews go, he's not allowed in the temple, which we read that he went to Jerusalem to worship, but he couldn't go to the temple, in the temple. Um, and so there, there's, there's so much about this man that you know, we could crack jokes about, but really the important part is we need to understand his physical condition limits what he can do as a God-fearing Gentile. It limits who he is in his world. He, there's just not much that he can, he can do. But he's been on this pilgrimage to worship. He's been to Jerusalem to worship. He's not a full Jewish convert. He can't be. But he's a God-fearing Gentile. We're going to find another God-fearing Gentile named Cornelius in just a few chapters. But it's important that what we see that he has come to some kind of knowledge of God, the God of Israel... And he is there to worship him. He's there to worship Yahweh, the I am. So he's God-fearing. In verse 28 and 29, Luke writes, it's of great importance and, and significance for us. He says, he's sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. It was common practice then to read it out loud. You should try it sometime. Read it out loud. Don't just read it quietly. But sometimes, you know, your, your kids may look at you a little weird. But just read it out loud. And, and see if it doesn't make a difference. But he's reading it out loud. There, there's something to reading the Old Testament. There's something to reading the Old Testament prophets that, 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 uh, that, that has such an impact in your belief in Christ. More on that in just a moment. But look now how the Spirit begins again to speak to Philip. Philip is told to go to the chariot. He's told to go down this road. He goes down the road. Now he's told, go to that chariot. And so Philip responds again in obedience. And he runs to the chariot. And, and Philip hears the, the Ethiopian reading from the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah. Who was Isaiah? Well, Isaiah was a man, a prophet, who would go speak when no one else would. His message was not one that was going to be super successful and build big churches and have a big following. But Isaiah chapter 6 paints such a, a, an important moment, a picture, a truth for us of what happens when we stand before a holy God. And then we realize before a holy God, our sin has ruined us. You remember that. I mean, who prayed to come to church to get ruined today, right? But when we stand before a holy God, that's how we stand. We stand before him ruined because we are sinful. And that's what Isaiah realized in Isaiah 6. And yet God atoned for that sin in that vision that Isaiah had. Then you've got Isaiah 26, 8, which is also of significant importance, at least for my family, and the, the yes, Lord, the truth that's there. There are so many other places, specifically where the Ethiopian is reading Isaiah 53. It's one of the greatest, most complete prophecies and pictures that we have of the coming Messiah. So it, it, is, no, uh, it is no coincidence that Philip has caught up to this guy and that he is reading, like this is a God-ordained moment. This is a God-instituted intersection that these two men are coming together and that Philip is going to be able to share the gospel. This eunuch, this eunuch didn't have much hope in this life. 
He had zero chance of worshiping God in Israel. He's God-fearing, but he couldn't go into the temple. He had zero chance for family, zero chance for much of anything in this life. But did you know that in Isaiah 56, there is a prophecy directed specifically to the eunuch? It's a great promise for him. Isaiah's work describes the future, a future for the, for the eunuch that says that he will give you a name better than sons and daughters, an everlasting name that will never be cut off. Now, here's a man who is physically limited, who could never have a family, and yet the promise from God is he's given you a name better than sons and daughters. He's given you something better than that family you can't have. Like, I mean, it's just an amazing picture, a name that is better, a name that is saved, a name that is redeemed, a name that is forgiven, and that is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And what I love about this is that this Ethiopian reading from Isaiah in this scroll that he had, as he's reading it out loud, had no idea that the God who he was worshiping and who he feared was sending a man named Philip to meet him on this road to fill in the blanks of who Jesus Christ is and that all of these promises he's reading have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We have Philip in step with the Spirit of God. Now we also will see, as he explains the gospel, that Philip has the opportunity to share the gospel and that Philip is in step with the gospel. It's important that we know the gospel. We have to know the true gospel, the gospel of Scripture, not the gospel of self-fulfillment or self-help or, or good feelings, but the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ has died, was raised, and is coming back. And he died for our sin and that he would forgive us of our sin as we trust in him. In verse 30, we know that the official is reading from Isaiah. Specifically, Philip hears him reading from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And Philip asks him this question, do you understand what you're reading did you know that gospel conversations that you can have in the coffee shop, at the gas station, uh, at, at Walmart, if you venture out there, um, you know, where at H-E-B, wherever you might go, you know, you can have a simple gospel conversation with a simple question like that. It could call, anything could start that conversation. There's always a way, an open door to transition from talking about life to talking about the gospel. And, and, and here the official responded by just saying, how can I unless someone guides me? All right? Now, here's what's happening. This is God. This is my, in my brain. This is how my brain works. Okay. God's saying, Philip, here's the tea. Philip, here's the golf ball. Philip, here's the best driver. It's a heavenly driver. It always drives straight. Here you go. You can hit a straight shot with this. Straight stick, even though, Stephen, you're crooked. I mean, uh, Philip, you're crooked. You got it right here, all right? God has teed it up for him. The wind is perfect. The fairway is, is wide. It's the fairway you've ever seen in your life. You couldn't miss it. Philip hit it straight down the middle. God has teed him up for the perfect tee shot to share the gospel. That's how my brain works. Sorry into the world of a golfer who never hits a straight shot. This is how it is. God has just ordained and so... Uh, in his providence and sovereignty, provided this moment for Philip and for the gospel to go across yet another cultural ethnic boundary that God said it, Jesus said it would go. 
So in Isaiah 53, what is so significant about that? Isaiah 53 is the suffering servant passage. It talks about how the Messiah would come and suffer. That was Jesus' message. He he would come and suffer, not come and throw Rome out and overpower them with military strength. But this is such a God-sized invitation here for, for Philip to share the gospel with Ethiopia. In fact, in verse 34, the official asked him, Philip, who is this talking about? Is the prophet talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And now Philip, in verse 35, responded by telling him the good news about Jesus. The good news about Jesus. And he did so with that scripture, verses 7 and 8. It is one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament in which we can preach Jesus from in Isaiah 53. All of the elements are there. His royalty, the incarnation, the atonement. It's all captured there in Isaiah 53. The atonement means that our, he took our place. Our sin was placed upon him and, and, and paid that price. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 8. Let me just read a, a few verses from that chapter. I won't, re, won't read the whole chapter, but just a few. Starting in verse 5, listen to this. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considers his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion." Verses 7 and 8 are just a starting point. Did you know that that's exactly what Jesus did with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? After the resurrection, he appeared to these two men, started a conversation with him. That conversation went, well, what's happening in Jerusalem? They're like, dude, where have you been? Have you not been around? Who are you? Like, where are you from? How could you not know what's happening in Jerusalem? It's like like the National Enquirer. Inquiring minds want to know what's going on in Jerusalem. And here we have... Jesus, he takes them back in Luke chapter 24, he takes them back, back to the scriptures. And he says in verse 26 of that chapter, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter his glory? And then Luke says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them for them, the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Philip is doing exactly what Jesus was doing and what Jesus did. Because at this moment, for Philip, there's no Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. The Gospels aren't there. The Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures is what they had. This man is reading from an inspired text of Isaiah 53, and he hears the Gospel. I want to encourage you to know that it is vital for you in your walk with Christ to go back and read the Old Testament. Be acquainted with it. Much of what we read in the new is based on what happens in the old. Most importantly, it points you to Jesus. He's there. I, I, I don't, don't make the mistake of finding or limiting the finding of Jesus only to those four Gospels. He is 
present in the Old Testament, and you can read how it points us forward to our need for a Savior and a Redeemer. The beautiful, this beautiful passage out of Isaiah 53 helps us to see exactly what Jesus would do for us and the Ethiopian and Philip and you and me. Listen to those words again. Isaiah said, or through, uh, God through Isaiah said, he was pierced because of our rebellion. I don't know if you've ever suffered any kind of puncture wound, but they hurt. They're painful. They bleed. They can cause lots of internal damage. You remember, though, for our Savior on the cross, when was he pierced? They pierced his side with the spear, did they not? It's what the Gospels say. He was pierced. Then it says that he was crushed. Crushed. Have you ever slammed your thumb with a hammer? Yo, you need to repent for that because I know what came out. (laughs) That hurts. But could you imagine the emotional and spirit, mostly the spiritual weight of what Christ was carrying for us on the cross as he suffered the wrath of God on our sin for us? He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was suffering. He was in pain. He was in agony. He was crushed because of our sin. Let that sink in for a moment. And then he says, our peace with God, our peace. Man, who doesn't want peace? But most importantly, we want peace with God. But our peace with God was paid for by Jesus receiving our punishment for something that he did not do. Our healing, spiritual healing, our heart being made from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh put in by the Spirit of God. See Ezekiel on that one. But our healing is accomplished by the wounds of his body that he endured. And then he goes on to say, listen, no one is exempt from this, for we have all gone astray. Each of us, like sheep, have turned to our own way. God has laid on him for our sin the punishment. He was oppressed, yet he kept silent, and he died in your place. It was the starting point. Philip could have taken him to Psalm 22, I suppose, if he'd had those scrolls. Psalm 34, Psalm 69, Psalm 118, Isaiah 42 and 43 and 44. I mean, the list could go on. Go back to Genesis 3.15 and see where it all started, this journey to redemption. So many stops along the way. And this good news that the Ethiopian was hearing, that this was fulfilled in Jesus, struck him. This Jesus that Philip was talking about, it opened up a whole new world for this man. Jesus changed him, changed his heart. He changed his outlook in the future that he was now going to have eternal life and that he didn't need to worry about going to Jerusalem to worship at the temple anymore. He would have the Holy Spirit indwelling in him and he could worship back home in Ethiopia. He could worship wherever he went. He didn't need that physical location anymore. God was redeeming his life and bringing him out of the darkness of his sin. Has God, has, has God impacted your life that way? Has, has the good news of Jesus Christ changed your life? If not, I wonder if you understand what Jesus has done for you. Do you understand that one day you and I will stand before a holy and just and almighty God 
And he, he alone, is going to judge your life. Do you understand that the good things that you've done, that you've accomplished in your life, the Bible says are like filthy rags before him? Friend, it isn't going to matter that you found somewhere out there the best version of yourself. It isn't going to matter that that you stayed within yourself and you found some kind of inner strength to make it each and every single day of your life. It isn't going to matter how closely you followed your own self-built sense of right and wrong or, or if you followed your own society and you followed what society was saying was right and wrong. It's not going to matter how, how, really, how, how you lived. You're not going to get in on your own moral code. The, the Ethiopian is understanding this. He's grasping what Jesus has done. And I wonder, have you grasped what Jesus has done for you? That's kind of a 21st century uh, hodgepodge uh, uh, of where we are today, this kind of self-religion. Our staff is reading a book I shared with you several weeks ago. It's called Get Over Yourself. It's kind of like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I'm telling you today, friend, you need to get over yourself and look to Jesus. He's the only answer. He's the only answer because only Jesus could take the punishment for you. And I would also say, if there's something holding you back, friend, that is not of God. God is calling you. You are the one resisting. It's the same line that Satan used in the Garden of Eden. That's not really what he said, is it? Yes, he did say it. It's written in his word. If you will believe in Jesus, his only begotten, that you would not perish, but you would have eternal life. Friend, if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ today, you are out of step with God. You are not in peace with God. And yet he loves you and he sent his son for you to die on the cross. I pray and I ask that you would trust him today with your life and begin to follow him as Lord. In a moment, we're gonna have a time of response and we're going to sing again going to be another act of worship for us as we close our service this morning. But in that moment, I want want to invite you to trust Jesus. I'll be here at the front to pray with you. I'd love to point you in the right direction as, as I pray we have so far this morning. I can't trust Jesus for you, but I will help lead you there. You are the one that takes the drink, not me. Now, church, before we close, I want to give you a couple of closing points and some truths out of this text that we need, to, we need to take home with us this morning. First one is this, that we need to remember that God has a heart for the lost. We can never, ever forget. That is our primary mission, is the mission of God. God has a heart for the lost. and He is leading his church. And if we cease to be concerned for the lost, then we are out of step with the spirit. We are out of step with the heart and the mission of God. From the very beginning of God's plan, it is redemption. We, church, get to play a part in that. We're humbled. As we read about Philip, listen, Philip is just an ordinary man. There's nothing about Philip. What's so special about Philip? Jesus, that's what's special about Philip. The Holy Spirit, that's what's special about him. He's just a man like some of you men in this room. He's just an ordinary dude. But he's walking by faith and following the Holy Spirit. The mission of the church involves ordinary people taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what God does. He takes the ordinary like us and makes it extraordinary for his glory. And that mission is directed by the Spirit of God. 
So let us not forget that God always will have a heart for the lost. Second, I want you to see what happens in this text is that what Paul wrote in in Romans chapter 10 is true, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, the gospel. Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 10, verse 14, how can they call on him they have not believed? And how can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. The mission of the church is focused on discipleship, the study of scripture, growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, and evangelism, the proclaiming of the gospel. Those two work together like peanut butter and jelly. They just go together. I want to close with this little thought. If you can, could you just slip your shoes off for a moment? Let me, let me just try to... Woo! Maybe those socks weren't as clean as I thought they were. I see why nobody's sitting on the front two rows. Just look at your feet for a moment, if you would. Seriously. I... Did you hear how Paul illustrated that? He was quoting from Scripture. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Physical picture to help us understand a spiritual reality. How beautiful are your feet? And then are your feet in step with the Spirit and in step with the gospel? I'm telling you, I think Philip must have had the most handsomest feet ever because that dude ran down that road, ran to the chariot and found the Ethiopian, filled in the blanks with the gospel and the Ethiopian's life was changed forever. Folks, it's not up to us to convert people, but it is up to us to share the message, the answer for the hope that we have in Christ. If you don't know how to share the gospel, can I give you a practical thing this morning? This app is called Three Circles. Also, it's called Life on Mission. The app is called Life on Mission. The particular process is called Three Circles. Now, let me tell you how simple it is to share the gospel. This app, this plan, if you will, was actually first done and drawn up on a napkin over lunch. I didn't do it, but... The pastor who did was sharing the gospel over lunch, had nothing else but a napkin, and he wrote this out. You can download this on your smartphone. It's available to Apple and Google and all the others. But if you'll just get this and go through it, spend a little time on it every day, you will, you will grasp a great process of sharing of how to share the gospel. It, maybe even you, if you've not trusted in Christ yet, read through it. It can change your life.